It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 10, Episode 26. Laura Nyrider on Juvenile False Confessions. Uh, as you guys heard in this week's episode, I don't know if you all heard it because uh, I know that there's a percentage of you that are uh, already heard this episode on True Crime Binge. Uh, but as I said in the intro that you know, we can tell from the from the analytics that only a small percentage of this audience had listened to that episode. Thought it was a good one and thought it was relevant. Also, it wasn't the plan, as I mentioned. My plan was to do a full episode on the wallet. And um, as I as I reached the end of my research on the wallet on Thursday and I was writing, realized there was definitely not enough there to do a full episode. So I thought we'd give you that extra content. I thought it was relevant, good information. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Joined in the studio today by Zach and Mike. And Mike's got a list of questions from you. And I know Zach's got some stuff to say, too. So after a quick break, we'll get right into it. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right, before we get into listener questions, I know, Zach, you said you had some thoughts on the episode, so we'll hit those first, and then we'll get into the listener stuff. I, I kind of want to talk about the wallet for a minute. I know that it was a very small segment. Uh-huh. I know there's been some discussion on it. But the question I have is, where did the idea of the couch location come from? I find it strange. To me, you know, I mean, Obviously, they they don't know where it came from. That you know, Keith says he finds it sitting on the counter. Right. So they just make up the idea of a couch, but th- that couch had to come from somewhere. Did Keith say there was a couch? Did Did Cobb say it was the couch? It, was there a couch there still? Why would there be a couch there if if they're really like painting and doing all this stuff? Yeah, I don't. So we know that Eva had left some furniture. Okay. When she moved out, so there. But I would think that they would just from my days of working in an apartment complex. Typically, we would do that clean out. You know, the painting was the last thing. That's what I would assume, too, is, is everything that would have been in there would have been gone by the time they were doing the painting to get it ready for the next tenant. Right. I would assume that. So I don't know. But we never have Keith saying anything about a couch. We only – but the, the whole thing is, you know, what I found is that it was just a game of – it could have been a game of telephone. It could have been a game of – Keep saying a game, but um, it could have just just been some assumptions made. Also, remember when when Cobb writes that report, he's doing some serious CYA. I mean, he's trying to cover his ass big time. You remember when we first covered it? You know, we put in there that you know I had kept this evidence in my file until I turned it over to the and then you know under cross examine like what your file your file was a bag in your car. You know, <laughs> yeah. So the whole his whole report is bullshit, and that's where and that report was written months later. It was written. At the time when it was finally realized he still had it and had to be turned over to the homicide office, there's just and that's the kind of thing like I wanted to get more information, but there's there's nothing 
there's nothing there. I don't know how to correct that. You know, I've, I've, I've reached out to Cobb without response. I've reached out to Truesdale in like 10 different ways and no response. I've called his business, his house, his emails, and, and haven't been able to get a response to him. And I know that, uh, so it that, sounds like Truesdale doesn't want anything to do with you or, or to talk about it. Right. Yeah. He, I, I think that Jennifer's attorneys have spoken to him, but I don't think that, I don't know what the details of that were, but it was, um, I don't, I don't know that it was super productive. Um, but yeah, so like, is, you know, and that's where I got, got is like, where else? I, I can't go anywhere else with this. So all I can gather is Truesdale says, Hey, I found this wallet. It was just left in the apartment. And, and remember, Keith just found it on the counter. Obviously, it wasn't on the counter before. And so maybe Keith said, I don't know where it came. Maybe it was behind a couch or something. Or, you know, he obviously didn't say the fridge. He didn't know it was the fridge. Mm-hmm. But it could have been something as simple as that. He could have been, you know, Keith could have said something along the lines of, I don't know, maybe it was behind a couch or, or behind some furniture or something. And then three months later, when Cobb is trying to recall this and cover his ass, he's like, oh, yeah, it was found behind the couch because that's the way he remembers it. Maybe it was just an assumption on his part. But what what I hadn't realized really before that I know now after going through this is that we know that nobody talked to Urbano Madrano at that point. So so no one actually knew where it came from. The only thing they knew was that it was found on the counter. You know, you brought up Urbano, and I think that's it's clear too that it was found behind the fridge. To in my opinion, right? Because that's not if it was found behind a couch, you may forget. You right. Know what I mean, if they ask where'd you find this wallet six months ago or whatever right. it was. Well, I don't remember where I found the wallet, but it seems like it'd be pretty evident if it was, if you found something behind a fridge, that seems weird. Seems uh-huh. like something you'd remember. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was from the, the sounds of Alan's report, he was very clear about it when he called up. He didn't speak English. He had to have his daughter translate. Uh, but she said that it was pretty clear that it was tucked in the coils behind the fridge. Is, and that was the first, the, the first time we hear from Urbana was when he talks to Detective Allen. And that's at least what Allen writes in his report is that it was tucked into the coils. And then we finally get his own words when he testifies. And again, he's very clear that it was tucked into the coils behind the fridge. So it seems like that's where it's at. Where Cobb came up with behind the couch, there's just, I know there's, there's, there's listeners that are just, you know, we need to dig further. We, but it, there's nowhere for me to go. There's no way for me to find out that answer. You know, I, you know, Cobb's not talking. And if he was, I'm sure he's not going to say, oh, well, I lied about that. And it was actually here. You know, I'm I, being 25 years later, I would expect to get, I don't remember. It's probably, you know, for him, mm-hmm. his entirety of his involvement in this case was that he got handed a, that he got handed a wallet. Uh, I don't know how much memory of that he, he would have. And another thing I thought about, and I think we have a listener question about it, but is the, is still that length of time of that apartment sitting there empty still bothers me. Yeah. I, I do not understand that one bit. I understand if it's Catalina's apartment, but I do not understand why Eva's apartment would sit there that long. I don't either. I think a lot of it has to do you know, there's so many unknown variables and, and that's another thing listeners want me to get all this information about the apartments. And I just, I don't, I don't have rights to that information. I can't get it. I have been to the office. I have spoken to a manager. I've given my card. I've told them, you know, that I'd like to talk to them to get information and I've just, I, they won't give me anything. So I don't have that information. I don't know if they'd even would still have it because, you know, apartment complexes like that tend to change management a lot. You know, it'll, it'll be the Green Arbor apartment complex forever, but it could be completely different companies over 25 years that actually own and operate and manage the the complex but you know it it could have been the economy at the time maybe they had a ton of vacant apartments you know we definitely the apartments i worked at in colorado we definitely had times where we you know at any given time we'd have 25 30 empty apartments that you know our leasing agents were trying to rent but there just wasn't enough people to rent them so it could have just been coincidence and it could have been you know because that was the that was the building where the murder happened they had just you know put that down on the priority or said it could just been a normal operating procedures doing business if they if they didn't have you know it's not like now at least in our area you know the apartment complexes around us have two-year waiting lists because the housing market the way the housing market is but you know if it's if it's at a time when when you know they're they're trying to fill units and it just sometimes takes months to do it it could be as simple as that all right guys let's jump into these questions our first one's from lauren have you talked to Laura about helping with one of her cases in the future? I haven't. I mean, she that would be kind of presumptuous of me to tell her that I need to help her with her case. But yeah, I would I would certainly love to, but I mean, I'm not the I don't know why. I guess I would say I don't know why she would use me unless she needed a case fully investigated and wanted the, you know, the the power of the audience and the crowdsourcing element to an investigation. 
But, you know, typically it's me looking for an expert, which would be her, to uh, to look into these cases, not the other way around. Um, but, no, she hasn't asked me to help her with any of her cases. She also, it should be noted, she didn't know who I was. I mean. Clearly. I, she had no clue who you were. Yeah. And I could tell that from the interview myself. Yeah. There was definitely <laughs> some time she doesn't know who I I've met her a couple times, but she doesn't know anything about me. Jason does. Jason mm-hmm. Flom, you know, when I had him on True Crime Bench, he's he's from he's listened to the podcast, is familiar with our work, and knew who I was. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I had I had a chuckle when she was bringing up the West Memphis Three yeah. and explaining the West Memphis Three. Yeah, yeah. Laura gave me a little taste of humble pie. Let me know that she has no idea who I am. That's that's like you know the second time recently that's happened to you. Yeah. Derek Lavaster got you with that as well. Yeah, in the live True Crime it was, Bench. It was good, good times. Yeah, if you haven't listened to that episode of Drew Crime Binge, it was a live episode, and the the guest told me that he thinks that he would love to see a podcaster like me get a TV show, and went into real depth about how it would be good for me to have a TV show sometime. You have to listen to it. It's pretty funny. It was a hearty chuckle. All right, this one's from Sarah. Is there any way to find out who was paying the rent on Eva's apartment between November and June, or if there were other units empty during the same time frame? That's a long time for an apartment to be sitting empty unless there's a reason for it to be empty. It makes sense that renting Catalina's apartment might be problematic, but Eva's? Yeah, like we just said, Zach, we, we kind of covered this. But as far as who was paying the rent, I don't think anybody was. You know, According to the leasing agents that testified at trial, Eva gave a notice that she wanted to vacate on the 31st, and then she had everything out by, I think, Monday the 3rd. My assumption, now, now that was not... The full term of her, I believe she had a year-long lease. So, but my my assumption would be, and it's just an assumption, so it could be wrong, that due to what had happened there, that they allowed her to break the lease. So you'd, you'd have to imagine if someone comes in and says someone got murdered in the apartment below mine. I don't want to live here anymore. That they'd let him out, but but she went through. She didn't just skip town. She went through a process and turned in her notice that she wanted to leave, and then she left. So my guess is no one was paying the rent. And again, I want to circle back to like, it's really not, like I said, me thinking back to my days and, and, we're, and we're talking in my situation, this is 1998, 1999. So about this time uh, in Colorado, we definitely had units that sat sat empty for months because we just had the complex I worked at. We had, we had, I think, 700 units. And I would say at any given time, there were 50 that were, that were empty. Big building. Yeah, big complex. Denise says, I know you're winding down, but do you have any intention to look into Craig? So I... With Craig, I I don't see any evidence indicating that he had any involvement. I think that we are we're we're, we're kind of getting into some pretty wild speculation. If we start, you know, I mentioned this last week. I think somebody suggested that maybe it was um, Jennifer's sister could have had some involvement or something. And you know, you can you can try to bend things to try to make it look like somebody might have been involved. But the reality is, we don't have any evidence that Craig's involved. There's no witnesses that you know. Two things. One, we have four people in the apartment right above it. The wallets found in that apartment. All the everything we have, right? All their stories are changing. All the different issues we that we have with them. It seems pretty clear that someone from those apartments was involved. And so then you have these other people, Craig included, who have no connection to the crime scene. No one, no one said that they were at the crime scene. No one said they saw them there. No one suggested they were there. No one suggested they had any 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 beef with Catalina. There's literally nothing nothing to suggest that he had anything to do. The only connection he has is his connection to Jennifer, and and so it's there's nothing. Not only is there nothing there to put them even in the same county as the crime scene at the time, uh, but you know, or this or the, this this the same area as the crime scene. But then we also have a, a pretty clear. I can't tell you who. But I can, t- but I can tell you, I, I, in my opinion, I'm, I'm fairly certain someone, at least one someone from that apartment, ha- was was involved in the murder. So I, I don't see Craig as a viable suspect. As far as can I look into him? Yeah, I mean, I look into everybody, but you also have to understand there, there's, I think there's, there's some misconceptions about what, what we can do. Everybody needs to understand that we have some limitations. So like, so we can say. Are you going to do a deep dive or look into Craig? But but we need to start thinking about practically what does that look like? So what does it? I've talked to Craig. I've asked him where he was that day, what he was doing that day, and he told me. Uh, we've talked to other witnesses. We have the other witness statements. Like there's no, 
no one has I, I wouldn't even know where to go. Like where else would we go from there to, to look any further? And, and that's and that's not, I'm not being a smart ass. That's a genuine question too. If somebody has an answer to that, let me know. But it's like, so we have all these witness statements from the people that were there at the time. No one ever saw him there. So, like, I, I wouldn't know who to ask next or what to ask. You know, I know Craig, I, I've looked at his criminal history. I, you know, the, I, I, I've spoken to him. I know his involvement with Jennifer and the family. Beyond that, I don't know what else I could do to look any further into Craig. And And again, I want to emphasize that there's no indication that I see there, there's no evidence in the file that would suggest that he, that he would even be a suspect or a person of interest for that matter. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Kathy says, I wonder if there's a way to find out if the police or prosecutor, quote, reminded Truesdale or Madrano where they found the wallet. How many months after finding it was the trial? So they found it in, I think, May 29th, might have been May 26th, somewhere around the end of May. Trial was in late September. Uh, so does that uh, June, July, August? So this is about four months uh, before the trial. Uh, as far this kind of goes back to what I was saying with, you know, and this is why. You know, I, I said we're getting to a place where we're, where we definitely are kind of needing to start winding things down is because I'm running out of running out of avenues and places without having Jennifer to speak to. You know, we've, I've, I've contacted all these witnesses. We do have more that I'm working on. I haven't given up on this case by any means, but we're just kind of running out of things to do. So, you, you know, the, the question is, what, you know, is there any way to prove if they were reminded by the police, meaning like the police maybe suggested that that's what happened? It's really not. I mean, I guess I could try to track down Madrano, which admittedly I haven't. I haven't done up to this point. Um, I'd have to have an interpreter because I think he doesn't speak Spanish. If he's still alive and still around, and if I could find him, it doesn't speak English. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it doesn't speak English. So I'd have to have. I'd have to have an interpreter. I speak some Spanish. I'm getting better at it through Babel. Um, <laughs> but I used to be able to speak Spanish, but not enough to have this kind of conversation. I'd have to have you know an interpreter if I could find him if he's alive. Other than that, I don't know what else. Like I said, I've 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 tried multiple times in multiple ways to get a hold of Truesdale, and and he's not talking and won't respond to me. I have like Facebook messages I've sent where I can see that he's read them and hasn't and hasn't responded. So I don't know. And again, and I won't say that like that's a stretch to think that because that's it's certainly especially knowing what we know, that's something that that certainly could could be the case. It's something that could have happened, but we just don't have evidence to support that. You know, we all we have is, you know, the, what I broke down on the episode, you know, that Urbano says he found it, left it on the counter and left. Keith walks in a day or two later, finds it, gives it to Cobb. Cobb leaves months later, three months later. Alan goes looking for it, finds out it's in Cobb's car, gets it, contacts the leasing agent, does all this stuff to find out who the painter painting company was, calls the painting company. They tell they look up in their records, find out who the actual painter was. He gets a hold of the painter. And the painter tells him, oh, I found it behind the refrigerator coils. And beyond that, I don't know, does it make a bit, you know, what are we, what are we, what are we looking at here? You know, are, are we thinking that it wasn't found in that apartment at all? Are we thinking it was hidden somewhere else in the apartment? I think if it was hidden somewhere else, it would be found by, just from, again, I, I keep going back to my own experiences, but my experiences as a maintenance tech in an apartment place like that, um, it, it seemed like it would. Normally, unless they did sell the furniture and stuff there, like we would go through and move out furniture, clean, 
um, fix anything that was broken, you know, so pretty much every inch of the apartment would be gone through. Really, the only place that makes sense for Madrano to find it would be behind the fridge. You know, if 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 he's going to move it out to paint, he's not going to be opening drawers or looking in. You know, that that just that just wouldn't be the case. He would only be moving things that he needs to move to paint. So you said something that kind of sparked something in me, and I apologize if I'm overstepping my position, but being here, I get to see a lot of things behind the scenes that the listeners don't get to see, and and I do know that. You know, the listeners have been kind of asking if you can talk to certain people. And from what I know, you have reached out to a lot of people. Yeah. And you have brought to us who you've talked to. So it's not that you're hiding or not trying to contact people. I, right. I you know, I, I know you're not willing to say that, but I'm going to say that for you that I know for a fact that he's reached out to a lot of these people you guys are asking him to talk to. Yeah. And a lot of, I appreciate that. But yeah, in a lot of different ways, we have a running list of, I mean, anybody you can think of in this case and even peripheral people around them, I've I've reached out to in one way or another. And, and I know that the people that have talked to you, you've brought up on the podcast. So you're not yeah. holding anything back. Yeah. The only one that I that was held back at all was, was Cena because I was waiting to try to get a, a recorded interview before I shared that. But that was a matter of weeks before it came out. So, yeah, I mean, we're, I'm trying to talk to those people. But when it comes to this, like, yeah, there's. There's no way for me to prove that that happened, and and I say like I'm not going to dismiss it and say it's something that couldn't have happened that the police like led him into that. But I also have to say there's no evidence that that's what happened, and and honestly, it makes the most sense to me that a painter, if if it was or if it was Madrano who found it, that uh, for a painter to find it in that situation, that behind the fridge is one of the few places that makes sense. Because everything else should have been gone through by the cleaning people and by the maintenance people. And he's only going to be looking behind things that he needs to paint behind. Lynn says, many people are suspicious of Keith Truesdale. Have you discovered any reason to deep dive into him as a possible suspect? Or can we put this to rest? It's similar to what I, you know, what I said about Craig and, and even about this other issue. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously, as I've said multiple times here today, I, I've made many attempts to talk to Keith. Um, is there a reason to think he's a suspect? I don't think so. I mean, you have uh, granted the police didn't go as far as like interviewing the people that were with him, but in those f- first few moments, the leasing agents say they saw him with another maintenance guy. They were out, I think, painting fire, doing whatever they were doing with fire extinguishers, you know, coming from the other side of the complex. So it seems like he was working with someone else, you know, unless, I mean, it's the level of conspiracy that would have to be involved there. You know, between what Pam Wiley says and Lavana says, what all these different people say, there's just, I just don't see any, any reason to consider him a suspect. Again, unless we're actively trying to push the, the blame away from the people who were in that apartment. I mean, you know, I'm always open minded and always, you know, looking for other avenues, but I, do, I don't see, I don't see it with Keith. You know, I, I, whether he was a hundred percent truthful in everything he said, whether he was a shill for the state, you know, if he was trying to, you know, twist things to help their case, I don't know, but him being involved in the crime, I just, I don't, I, I don't see it. And again, I don't know other than forensic testing, which is what we're really pushing for. Hopefully the Jen's lawyers are going to be doing, you know, that would be the only thing that could connect them if they can do a full thorough DNA analysis and, and, and compare it to him and somebody else, but I just, you know, I, I don't see any reason to think he's a suspect. Kristen says, not a question pertaining to this week since the wallet seems pretty cut and dry, but I wanted to ask about the DNA. Have you any plans into doing a deeper dive into what was found and we're bringing on an expert to discuss it? So far, I haven't been able to get my hands on the actual DNA reports. I only have what was um, reported in the police reports and stated at trial. If I had them, yeah. I would probably bring someone on to take a look at them and and try to explain them, but you know that that is something that I know Jennifer's attorneys are or attorney is working on, you know, look at the DNA that's there and further testing. So that's that you know that's something that that likely will just be handled uh, by her legal team rather than by by us because you know as we're you know as as I when I mentioned last week that you know we're probably coming up to where we're gonna be wrapping this case up and it, it's again it's not that we're going to stop investigating it when when we stop there's still i still have other avenues and leads that i'm looking into but we definitely hit a point where i can do the work that i'm doing but but do i have enough each week to put together a 40 minute you know 40 minutes of content and a show that you guys want to listen to 
and it's really in, in, in no, the answer is no. You know, we're already like you heard this week, I had a plan. And then when I get, you know, as, as I'm in, as I'm researching and find out there's, there's only 10 minutes of content to talk about that. And, but we've, you know, so I, I, I put out this other interview in there to make sure that you guys had something. I feel like, again, I felt like it was good and worthwhile to hear, but that's an example. When we get to this point in the case and without having access to Jennifer too, it's just, I, we we can't keep, I, I'm not going to keep, I'm not going to waste your time. We're not going to waste my time trying to put together podcast episodes when we don't have the, the content to do that. So, so, you know, when it comes to this DNA stuff, you know, if, if her lawyers are already working on it and we're at a point where I just don't, we, if we get to a point where I don't have anywhere else to go with this case, then that'll be something to be left of the lawyers. And of course we'll always do, if we get new information, once we're done with season 10, then we'll always do update episodes and keep coming back to it to keep everybody informed of what's going on. Kim says, do you think you'll ever be able to speak with Jen? It seems such a shame that the Truth and Justice Army could do so much if we were able to hear her side of the story and answer your questions. Her lawyers are really jeopardizing an incredible potential resource. One thing I want to make clear is that her lawyer is not doing anything wrong. There was a lot of posts about this on the fan page after last week with people being pretty negative about her lawyer or Jen's decision not to talk. I want to make one thing very clear. Is it frustrating for me? 100%. Do I think that we could move this investigation further and and actually get to the truth and have some finality in this case and maybe find out who actually killed Catalina? If we, if we could, if we had the opportunity to speak with Jennifer, I do. And, and that's not to say that she knows who did it, but it's like, we have this gaping hole and we and it's 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 like this obstacle. It's like we have this big river in front of us, and we need the bridge to get us to the other side to continue. And Jennifer's that bridge, and without her, it just it's just very it's just a stone wall. We can't get to where we need to go to continue on. Uh, so it's super frustrating for me. That being said, it is not uncommon at all for an attorney to tell their client not to talk to the media. There's nothing wrong with it. It's probably a smart thing to do. We've been very lucky in the in the seasons leading. You know, we've always had access. You know, with with you know through the Innocence Project of Texas or the Exoneration Project in Illinois. You know, the other every every case we've done, we've always had access. You know, with Deb Perringer, COVID kind of she couldn't use the phone for most of the year last year when we were trying to work on her case before she passed away. Uh, we've never dealt with this. We've had lawyers that understand what we can do. They trust us. And trust me, and and have um, have, have gladly opened the door with no restrictions for us to talk to their client. In this case, we don't have that, and I. But th- but that's again, I don't want to con- to confuse my frustration with not being able to speak to Jennifer with that being the wrong thing for her attorney to do. It 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 makes perfect sense that that's what he's doing. That's his right to do it. And it's not, I can't even say that it's a bad decision. I mean, I can say that I think that we could help a lot more. And I think that we, I, I really genuinely think that, that we have probably the best opportunity to help actually find the truth. And it's upsetting that we don't get to, but he's, he's doing what he believes is the right thing to do. And, and maybe it is. Uh, and then when it comes to Jennifer, people say, well, that's her attorney saying that well, Jennifer could still talk too." I would never, ever, ever advise someone to do something other than what their attorney's telling them to do. Like that would be that would be this the dumbest thing Jennifer could ever do is when she has an attorney who's working pro bono and working his ass off in this case for her, if she were to uh say, you know what, I'm not gonna listen to you and I'm gonna go ahead and do this podcast anyway, that would be a terrible, terrible decision. So I one hundred percent respect her decision to follow her her attorney's advice uh when it comes to that. So that being said, um, I'm going to, by the time you heard that you hear this, it will have already been done, but I'm going to, I've, I've reached a point now where our research team has developed some great cases. I'll talk to you guys about a little bit at the end of the episode here. We are ready to move forward, uh, very soon. And, and so I'm going to be, by the time you hear this, I will have already done. So sending a message to Jennifer's attorney and to the family to let them know that we respect the decision, but if we cannot have contact with Jennifer. If we cannot interview her to get her version of the story, then we're going to have to bow out of this investigation and and leave it to them and wish them all the best in, in moving forward. But there's just nothing else that we can do without having that access. So, so that will be sent out to them. So who knows? Maybe they'll, maybe they'll 
hear that and decide that they want to go and let her be interviewed, that would be great. And if not, then we're going to, like I said, be tying up some loose ends and, and, and we we just, you know, onward and upward, you know, we just, we, we got to keep pushing forward there. Are, and one thing I do want to make clear too, I think that I said, I think that the words I chose in the last episode where I said, you know, if she doesn't want to, you know, if, if their attorney's not going to let her come on the show, then we're going to find somebody who wants to help themselves. I don't remember if that's exactly what I said, but I but I think it was somewhere around the lawns, and I and I want to I want to make sure I, I I I correct that that I I do not think this is Jennifer not wanting to help herself if what she's doing is listening to her attorney instead of listening to a random podcaster, you know that again that's the that's the right decision for her if that's what her attorney's telling her to do, tell if that's what he's telling her to do then that's what she needs to do. So I don't think that, but at the same time. We've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases of people that are begging to be a part of this and that are begging for our help. We have we have cases that have been submitted by attorneys asking us to to help uh, help with these cases, and it's just to a point where I'm I I, I don't want to waste any more effort if we just if we're never going to be able to get over that bridge to get to the other side to to get her you know again the huge missing piece of her version of events so. Um, I'll keep you guys posted on that, but that's kind of where we're looking at going forward as far as speaking with Jennifer. The last I talked to Justin, her attorney, he told me, he's like, I just don't think I'm going to be able to help you, uh, with her, you know, having her talk to, talk to you. And he was, he just said he still got too, so many things he's working on and he didn't think that that was going to be in the cards. Uh, but it's been about a month since we've had that conversation. So I'm going to circle back to it and we'll see what he says. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Gretchen says, I don't want this to seem like I'm just part of the I hate Bob rough group. I love the show and even the season. But Bob, you just phoned this episode in. I feel like I had some real questions and you didn't do any investigation. You just reread what was already in the record. The fan page has been talking about this for a while and you just dismissed us and it. That being said, loved the episode on The Voice. Very helpful. I, well, for starters, I would say if you have real questions, like this is the place for that. I wish I wish you would have asked that whatever those questions were here. So because I you know I don't know what those what those questions are. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate the the feedback, but but look at so so look at this specific question from my from my perspective or the, this this comment that I just mailed in the episode. There was so much more I could have done with the wallet, and I had all I had specific questions. But then, you're, but you're, if you don't ask me the questions, I don't know. All I can do is look at the case and investigate it the way. I feel they need to be investigated. Now, now the fact that you got an episode that was, you know, half over half the episode was uh, an interview that I had already conducted. Yeah, that's certainly see your point there. I didn't create anything new for the second half of that. As I said, I, I've mentioned a couple of times already, I, I'm pretty handcuffed by it. I, I don't think, I don't agree that I mailed in the investigation into the wallet. There's just nothing there. And if, and, and, you know, what I was hoping was in this episode, if, if there was, you know, so look again from from my perspective here. There's all these listeners that listened, and 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 I don't know of any, but I'm sure there's more than just Gretchen that that thought there was more to the wallet. But nobody's giving me that feedback. No one has reached out to me and said, "Well, what about this?" Or I think this. You know, so that's I I I I would strongly disagree that I mail. I spent two whole days digging through every and and, and searching through everything from the the DA's file to the police file. To the trial transcripts, cross-referencing everything, and then when I came up at the end of the day, it just—it's all there is. The, the the fact that no one talked to Urbano until Alan did, 
So the whole couch thing came up just out of whole cloth. There's no way to, you know, and I've reached out to Cobb and he won't answer me. I've reached out to Keith Truesdale and he won't answer me. You know, there, there's, there's really nothing else more I can do with it. And that kind of speaks to what I was just talking about a minute ago. That this, this gets, I will tell you this from a production standpoint, this part of not all seasons, because most seasons, you know, we have, uh, you know, a place where we can see where we're going. Uh, but we've been operating this entire season under the pretense that pretty soon we'll be able to talk to Jennifer. Pretty soon we're going to be able to, once once they get the case file, once this happens or once this happens, we'll be able to actually speak to Jennifer and get her side of the story and get her version of events, be able to piece it together. And then it's like now all of a sudden we're here we come towards the end of it and there's there's nothing to do. So, again, from a production standpoint, you know, we have deadlines. We have contractual obligations. We have things. So here I am. I mean, what time was it? Three o'clock on Thursday? I texted you, Mike, last week. Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah. and and keep in mind the episodes have to be out the door to Mike by Friday morning, so that he can edit them and get them out the door to Shane by midday Friday for us to get these episodes done. And it was at three o'clock when I when I finally finished the, everything on the uh, writing for the um, for the wallet segment that I realized like this is this is not an episode. And, and that's that's the that's the hundred percent transparent. What what how this process worked last week was I, when I got done, I realized I've got ten minutes tops, and so you know, so what do we do? I can't put out a ten minute episode. We got to put something out. So I tried to find what I thought would be the best possible thing, the most relevant um, uh, information I could put out, which was that interview with Lord Nyrider. So I'm sorry you felt that I was mailing in, but just so you know, gave it everything I got. Unless somebody can tell me there's something more there other than just speculation there i there's nothing again this goes and i i said this earlier too there's a lot of that um well you should do this or you there's a lot of you should do more about when i think that a lot of times um a lot of you that are listening don't don't haven't thought about what the limitations are that we have when it when it comes down to you know a 25 year old case with we only have witness statements and we're and we've reached the point in the season 26 weeks in uh, you know we're half a year now we're six months into it where now we've you know we've we've run out of the people to talk to there's just not much more i can do than what i'm doing for you well i can ask you my questions with the wallet but i i know the answers and not because i know anything different just because we we don't know the answers but the biggest questions for the wallet for me are how did it get there right we don't know we can't no one's wants to talk so right. we don't know you know why was it there we don't know was there DNA on it? Well, yeah, there's DNA on it, but as you just said earlier, you don't have any reports. Well, they never did a DNA test on the wall. They did. Okay. A, they tested for fingerprints, and there were no fingerprints on it, no usable fingerprints. So those are some of my biggest questions, right. but we we can't. I don't see a way to answer those either. Yeah. Like I do have questions about the wallet, but yeah. I know that there is no answer for them. Yeah, we all do. And so I guess what I want to tell you is, if you th- <laughs> if you think you're the only one frustrated about where we're at with this case right now. I just want you to know you're not like this is I am I am extreme and and Mike and Zach have have heard me venting some of these frustrations like it's just it's killing me because I feel like we're right there if we I feel like I feel like we could solve this case I feel like we can actually get get names and people and we can we can get this thing put together and I just feel like we're handcuffed. And so, like I said, there are things, and then, you know, there's these ethical issues that come up. Like, yes, are there leads that I'm trying to work on right now? A hundred percent. Can I blurt them out on the air right now? Absolutely not. I can't. And some, you know, for some of them, it's like, oh, I need to take this. This needs to go to the attorneys and needs to file a certain path. And other ones, it's like, well, I'm not taking this person's name and throwing it out when I don't know if there's any reason for it to be thrown out there yet. And and so like so so there is you know I think somebody had worded it somewhere along the way I mean that I'm, you know, I'm giving up on this case somebody on the fan page that you don't give up so soon I'm not giving up on the case I'm just saying it, it's it, it's just reaching a point where we can't continue to make episodes about the case much longer. Jason says, "Are you now against police lying during interrogations?" If I recall correctly, a couple of years ago you defended this tactic quite vigorously on one of your spinoff podcasts. If your stance has changed, why? No, it's a good question and relevant to what Nora, Laura Nyrider just talked about. Um, if you didn't listen to the episode, she had, she was a big part of in the state of Illinois getting legislation passed through that makes it illegal 
for the police to lie to juvenile suspects uh, during interrogations. And I don't think, Jason, I don't think it was a spinoff podcast. I think it was this podcast when we had that conversation. My position on it was that I could see that there's another side to it as far as being able to lie to a suspect, that it's hard to draw a line. If I if I if I were to be, be if I was king of the world and got to make a decision, can police lie to suspects? I would say no. And, and has that and has that opinion developed more since a few years ago when we had this conversation? Sure, it has. I but but I'm I'm just always one of these. For anybody that has listened to any spinoff podcast or anything, you know that I'm I'm about as neutral as they come. I'm I'm politically independent and neutral, and and I'm always trying to see th- everything from both sides. Is, is how I try to just operate my life. And and that was just a, a conversation that we that had come up, and I got to thinking about it. It was like, but man, if we said they can never lie, like where's where's that line drawn? You know, when when police are trying, you know, when they're interviewing somebody who's guilty and they're trying to get information out of them, you know, little, you know, if they were to say some little white lies about, like, you know, someone saw you walking down the street, so how can you say you weren't there? Where a police might say something like that. Yeah, in hopes to get, you know, and they're trying to see the reaction out of you to see if you're like, that's bullshit. I wasn't on the street. Or if immediately you start changing your stories. Since then, I've got to understand the psychology a little bit better of what interviews and interrogations do to you mentally and break you down. And so now I a little further, I a little better understand the fact that even though I could say like, you know, I, I think back then I used the example of, well, if my kid was missing and someone had kidnapped them and I'm trying to find out where my son is, then yeah, where, you know, it's, 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 and it's put yourself in that position there. I'm sure there are parents out there that are good people that would never condone this. that would say, yeah, waterboard the son of a bitch until he tells you where my kid's at. But that's not, you know, you don't legislate like that based on your own anecdotal, anecdotal, imaginary, emotional scenarios. But but that was kind of where the the place that I was coming from back then. That yeah, if it was my kid, I want I want you to do what you got to do to find him. And so that was me looking at it from the other perspective. But again, like now I've just seen so much. I've learned a lot more since then. And so yeah, I, I guess my my stance now would be I agree with this. I disagree with the Supreme Court ruling. I don't think they should be able to lie. I do think that 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 probably that probably can. Along the lines, if that gets thrown out, maybe cost some people their lives. That there maybe are a few instances where, by by the police bending the truth a little bit, they might be able to get somebody to break and tell the truth, and maybe you know bring somebody to justice or find somebody that's missing or something like that. But at the end of the day, that's not worth it's it's not worth the the possibility of convicting people that are innocent. And maybe finding, you know, finally getting justice for those crimes, only to later find out you got the wrong person and you never really did get justice. So I know that's a long-winded response, but I've had to kind of think it through as we were talking. But no, I think that was on here. And so, yeah, I guess the short answer is the TLDR is, yeah, I guess my stance has changed. And 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 I think, yeah, it should just be a blanket policy that you just shouldn't be able to lie, period. Matthew says, before we give up on this case, is there any way for us to submit questions for Jennifer through her attorney? I don't know. That'll, that's something that I will, in my correspondence with the attorney this week, as I said, I'm going to reach out to him and let him know where we're at with things. I can ask that, and, and, I, and, and certainly if he's willing to do that, I'll put it out there. I, for, for me personally, that's, I, I don't think that's going to get us where we need to, to go. You know what I mean? If you have something filtered through, through an attorney and just very direct and you you can't assess somebody's truthfulness and credibility and thing through through that that format i would like to have a conversation it's not that i want to interrogate jennifer i it's i think it's been pretty clear that my position on jennifer right now is that that i don't think she's guilty i i personally don't think she actually knows what happened in the crime i think that there i think if there's any involvement that i think that she I think she know she could possibly know something like she could know who she thinks did it, but maybe doesn't have the exact details. But I definitely I don't think that she was a lookout and I don't think that she was actually involved in the crime itself. But I still would want to have a flowing conversation with her and be able to ask some questions. Yeah, honestly, at this point, as a listener, I don't really need to hear her opinion of the case. I would just like to hear her story. Right. From her point of view. And that's all I would like to hear from her is just to hear what she has to say. like. 
where was she? You know, tell her story. Exactly. And let's hear that. Yeah. The, 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 essentially what I want, not essentially, exactly what I want to do is say, tell me what actually happened. Not, not the bull, no, not the lies, not the story she told the police. Tell me what actually happened that morning. When you got up, where did you go? What did you do? What did you see? What do you know? That's the only question that I, that I want to have. I want to have her tell that story. And if she, she can, great. If she can't, then, you know, we just, like I said, we need to move on. And, and with that, um, I, I do want to let you guys know where we're at moving forward. I, this, this episode's kind of a bummer. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to. But, hey, you guys asked the, the, the bummer questions. <laughs> kind of led us here. But, but anyway, there is a lot of positive. I, I, I want to tell you that I'm super excited moving forward. Our research team has just done a phenomenal, amazing job with the case. They, they filtered through over 300 cases. In the last six weeks, and they've gone through a very um, thorough process. It was presented to me over three hours last night or yesterday afternoon, uh, and they and they narrowed the cases down and narrowed them down, narrowed them down to where they got to about four of them. Uh, they pitched me four yesterday. Two of them I like a lot. Two of them I don't think are, are going to work. And then there's um, a fifth one that came out that it's actually connect has some connection to this case, sort of. Um, that, uh, wouldn't work for a long season of truth and justice, uh, cause there's just not enough there. And, and so nothing is set in stone right now, but just to keep you guys informed of where I think we're going forward, essentially we have three cases that I'm looking at right now. One of them is a really super interesting. It's the one I'm the most interested in. It would be long form, normal season of truth and justice. Uh, and it's fascinating, and I definitely think that it, it's looking like it's a wrongful conviction. And then we have another one that also looks – it's a its a very interesting case. looks like it's a wrongful conviction, but I don't know that there's a full season there. And then the one that has the connection to this case that definitely would be more of like a, a George Powell-type season, uh, a very short kind of mini-season. So kind of what I'm, what I'm messing around with or playing around with the idea of right now is while we're developing – the full season that we that we may have one or possibly two short seasons in between. So we may do the mini season on on the case that has some connection to Jennifer's, and then from that would be season eleven. You know, and when I say mini, that might be four to six episodes, and then do another smaller season after that uh, with another another one of the cases that's great. But again, there's I don't think there's a, a six months worth of content there. So we may do, you know, season 12, maybe another short mini season that would be maybe 10 or 12 episodes. And then after that, moving into season 13 would be a long one. So kind of more of the format that uh, Undisclosed usually does where they do a long season and then Colin does some short seasons in between. Um, looking at possibly going that direction, partially just for production reasons, because this one I want to really fully develop. Before we're and do a lot of research and get a lot of documents and do interviews before we're ready to to put it out there, and partially because as they brought these cases to me, these other two cases, they're just man, like I hate to not have their stories told just because they don't have twenty episodes worth of content because these are people that really do need our help and certainly could use the exposure. Uh, and again, I think one of them was submitted to us by the by the person's attorney who's asking us for our help and asking us to to help tell the story. So nothing set in stone right now, but um, but before too long, we're going to be moving on to another season. That kind of looks like the direction we're going to go. I'm pretty excited about it, about all three of these cases. And I want to thank you guys for hanging out through this one. I, I mean, to me, this this season's been fascinating. Uh, last, you know, these last few weeks are just starting to starting to be a struggle. But you, for those of you that have been with us for a long time, you know that we tend to have a little struggle once you get to the end of the season, anyway. Um, but but we've got a lot more to do. This week's episode, based on some listener requests. I'm going to be breaking down the full investigation into Ernest and Tim, uh, the the two accomplices that Jennifer named in her confession. The uh, listener brought to my attention that I've never, you know, I've always said they never really tried looking for the actual killers uh, when there is quite a bit of information in the report. So we're going to be going through that. Everything that Swainson and, and Alan did to try to find uh, Jennifer's accomplices. That's going to be this week's episode. And then we'll see, see where we go from there. But again, thanks for sticking with us. Make sure you tune in on Sunday. We appreciate you guys. Love you guys. We'll talk to you next week.
Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team. Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. And so, yeah, I guess the short answer is the TLDR is, yeah, I guess my stance has changed. And, and, and I think, yeah, it should just be a blanket policy that you just shouldn't be able to lie, period. TLDR, that means too oh. long, don't read. Too, long, right, too yeah. long, didn't read. Right. Okay. That's, I was like, what did you just say? <laughs> Thanks for having my back. Not a I'm glad you had that because I was, I was, <laughs> that was literally my next question was like, what? <laughs> yeah. the, the problem is you're supposed to put the TLDR at the beginning. Oh. <laughs> so if it's too long to want to read, this is the, this is what I said.